0: Welcome to A Pilgrimage of Unfolding Grace, a podcast intended to extend the conversation on themes from my book of the same name. In this journey, I want to help you explore your story with God, your personality in the light of Christ, and the gifts you have been given by the Holy Spirit. I believe your calling is found at the intersection of these related themes if you learn to listen carefully enough. We imprint upon our parents from day one, perhaps even while we're still in the womb. Our awareness at birth is that mother is the source of all our needs, and before long, we become aware of father in the room, the obstacle we have to overcome to get back to mother, and then siblings and grandparents, and so on. As we'll discover in the section on personality, we develop pet tactics from a very early age to have our needs met based on the feelings of basic loss we experienced at birth. Our parents shape our understanding of self like few others will. In our family of origin, biological or otherwise, we receive messages of acceptance and belonging, but also messages of neglect, abandonment, and sometimes abuse. These messages create a trajectory for our lives in that they set up our expectations for all other relationships, including the one that we have with God. This is why God as Father is a welcome image for some and a point of pain for others. April Ban is a longtime friend of mine residing in Nashville, Tennessee. She lives in the space between being a pastor at the Anchor Fellowship and as a licensed clinical therapist. For April, family of origin theory permeates everything, whether it's how we relate to God or how we see ourselves. In this conversation, we delve into family systems theory, how it works, and what it means to bring our histories into the healing presence of Jesus. So it's funny talking to Brian, I couldn't quite figure out like when we all probably like really met. Mm -hmm. It's like y'all kind of ended up at the anchor just about the year prior to me. And then Mm -hmm. like over time, Brian comes on staff and then I came on staff and then you started to get more involved, um, which is actually, I don't know, it's kind of sweet to me to think about like you just gradually becoming part of my life in that season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I don't know, but do you remember yeah. like a specific moment that we met or anything? Or it was just like, we just kind of ended no. up in this place together. I,
1: I have a very distinct memory of like getting to see you outside of the office, the church office and out of church context. Um, and it was, you remember we did... We used to do a lot of weird things, but we did this yard sale situation off of 8th Avenue South. I think it was like, it was maybe Dana Davis's apartment or something in the parking lot at Wedgwood. It was at Wedgwood. Anyway, you were DJing the yard sale. Do you remember this?
0: (laughs) Yes, I do. And
1: I don't know. I just remember like, that was the first time that I felt like, oh, okay, there he is. That's Ryan, you know, Um, because I'd seen you in the office. um, Like if I popped by to see Brian or something, I mean, I knew you in like worship context, but I don't know. That's my first memory of you outside of business hours. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Do you remember DJing a yard sale? I mean, that's like, not a thing yeah, people I do. normally do. <laughs> uh,
0: it's not. But I mean, it's like you said, like that was this era where that didn't feel weird.
1: Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean?
0: Like, yeah, that's, that's just what we do. You know, I feel like yes. part of, part of the resistance in growing older is that you start to measure out like what is normal and what's not, and you tend to mm-hmm. gravitate towards what's normal, but when you're,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: especially kind of in your twenties, it's like, everything's normal because it's what you're doing. You don't have anything to like compare it to.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. True.
0: Um, True. So good. So I like to, uh, I I kind of, and this will be obviously like really pertinent to our conversation today. Um, I like to kind of get a little bit of each person's story because I, okay. I I'm really convinced you don't come into any of these different concepts that I'm kind of laying out in the book uh objectively like there's they're not mm-hmm. just these like doctrines that we memorize but there's so what we think about God how we perceive ourselves um and what we're called to do it's so immersed in our in our story and that's mm-hmm. you know kind of the this this portion of the podcast is really about examining our story through these different lenses. So um, Mm -hmm. do you want to maybe just give us like a brief overview of like your journey with the Lord and like where Mm -hmm. you're coming from? And then we'll start to like get more into family, uh, family systems kind of after that.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like, yeah, I can give you that. And also very much will intertwine with, um, we'll go where we're going as far as talking about family, because um, my relationship with um, with Jesus and even the church is, has been very impacted by my family of origin. Um, I'm from a, a long line of believers in Jesus and a long line of people who are in ministry. Um, so for me, I grew up uh, in the South, mostly in Georgia, um, in a very traditional family. My parents are still married. Uh, my grandparents um, were married until the day they died, and so lots of um just traditional family roles in my life growing up mm-hmm. um I, that it and i'm I'm grateful for that um some of the the um, how my career and even my involvement as a pastor is unfolded is also deeply impacted by that um I went to college pursuing a career for myself to be independent. And um that was a uh that also connects Ryan to my over preparedness for being here. There's this like strong line of independence that was ingrained in me growing up. But um I met Jesus early on. I have walked uh in relationship with the Lord for most of my life, all all that I can remember. Some ups and downs for sure. Um, but like I said, being a part of the, of the church and the faith community has just been, um, I'm, I'm grateful. It's been a a positive impact on, uh, on my development. Um, but as a, as a therapist and as a pastor, even those things came a little bit later in life because of, um. Uh, not knowing for sure what women could do in those Mm. contexts, in those roles. Did
0: you grow up in a more Um, traditional kind of, or like a, I'll hesitate to say traditional, but like a complementarian.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Yeah.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah. And I mean, this will sound real like kind of catty and negative. The person I'm going to reference was doing the best he could with what he had. But um, when I was in high school, I remember speaking to a pastor of mine about what I felt like the Lord was calling me to do. And his response to me was like, well, you should probably pursue education because women who have like that type of calling on their life do best as teachers in school mm. context, not in church context. Um, even um, that pastor was um, discouraging about women doing therapy because they would potentially be in therapy sessions with men and um, women weren't meant to advise men. Um, so like mm. that, like mm. from that kind of context. Um, but I actually, I, I went into therapy because I, I felt like that was a, at the time that was a more acceptable door that would be open for me as a woman um as opposed to being a woman in ministry um oh, okay. and like in in yeah um in my family um i have i have two sisters my parents are very um like do whatever you want if you want to go to school go to school like be empowered like they were um very much for us as like in raising girls. Um, but like we were in a a church context that was, um, like men had roles and women had roles. Does that make sense?
0: Right. Yeah, Um, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, um, as I have evolved and done a little bit of work on myself have, you know, come to accept that I can, uh, follow what Jesus says over what systems say, (laughs) Um, hmm.
0: so are you the kind of person who, because I think a lot of times we grow up with those kind of mandates. I like uh, that. Um, speaking of like family systems, like Pete Scazzaro talks about like these unbiblical commandments, you know, that yeah, sometimes yeah. they're, ex- sometimes they're expressly said to us, but sometimes they're just kind of implied and it can be around, Yeah.
1: Like,
0: you know, money is the source of security or, um, mm-hmm. we don't talk about sex or, we don't marry outside of our ethnicity; um, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. So that that uh, the the roles that were available not for, available for women. It sounds like that was pretty overtly told to you. Were Were you the kind of person when you look back at who you were when you were younger that you had the desire to go along with those kinds of things, or you were always kind of suspicious of it and you wanted to, and like, you innately mm-hmm. wanted to push against the norms?
1: Mm-hmm. I think innately I wanted to push against the norms, um, but also I'm a middle child and I do fall into that role a little bit of, I prefer there to be peace uh, in the systems. And so there's some internal conflict of wanting to push the norms and see how and where I could color outside the lines while also not being willing to tip the boat over. Um, right if that makes any sense. Um, I'm also, um, an eight on the Enneagram. And so there's this thing in me that I like justice is important. I'm okay with asking hard questions, but the environments that I grew up in, it just like, um, I think sometimes I look a lot like a nine to other people because I have learned how Mm. to, um, fit into a situation without rocking the boat but internally i'm like oh this isn't right like i want to um i'm okay with the um conflict to find the justice and the and the real peace you know yeah
0: yeah um yeah um because you know obviously like tied in with family of origin is culture of origin too like your yeah your family is a product of your culture and so for you being from the South as well, there's kind of this extra layer, yes, to yes. like the roles of women and and <clears throat> yeah, you know, as I've as we've done Enneagram work in our community over the past six or seven years, I've developed a tremendous sympathy for um male twos and female uh, eights, especially wow. in the South, because yeah. the highest the highest godlike quality that you're called to is to be nice. <laughs>
1: Yeah. You know, yes.
0: and, uh, yeah, so you're, you're, you're pushing against a lot of things there with just that kind mm-hmm. of like innate desire to, to mm-hmm. break down norms in the sake of justice.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I remember I, I, um, I had a, a job that was very, it was very important to me. I did it for a long time. It was a pharmacy tech all through high school, most of college, And it was a family business. So I was one of the only non-family members that worked there. Mm. And I can remember it's one of the like the first times that I remember kind of like breaking out of the like people pleasing, like let's accommodate and be nice to other people. But I just I felt really safe with the boss that I had. And he was super empowering to me, wanted me to do great. Um, so he welcomed my, um, assertive communication. And so, um, I remember his wife, uh, one time I'd worked there for about a year and a half and she pulled me to the side and she was like, I would never speak to him that way. I cannot believe that he lets you speak to him that way. And I was like, what, like, what are you talking about? And it was just that, like the, the, I think because I felt really safe, I could say, Hey, I don't understand why you're asking me to do that. And I wasn't being disrespectful and he wasn't receiving me as disrespectful, but his wife was like, what is happening? You know, like that's one of those developmental moments for me where I was like, Oh, okay. Like it it felt good to be. and, And I continued to work there for many years after, um, I think he is like that boss is someone who helped shape who I am, but, um, I don't know. It was just one of those moments of like, okay, okay. Like I, I'm going to let this part of myself come out and maybe some people won't like it and, and that's okay.
0: Yeah. So did you, um, would you say that you felt the call to ministry early on? Mm -hmm. Did that occur to you or was like when you settled on therapy, was it like, this is the thing and like, and why was that, why did that feel like that was the trajectory?
1: Mm, That's a good question. Um, I do think that I, I've, I have, I felt the call to live, um, with purpose and intention and to lead people in the direction of light and hope. Um, and I know that's like a very ambiguous answer, um, but I also, um, I have felt for years, my parents uh, kind of accidentally named me April, um, but it means, it means life and hope. And I've always,
0: mm.
1: I believe in that stuff. Like, I think if, I don't know, I if, I don't know what Ryan means, but I think that.
0: L- little King.
1: Okay. Okay. I can I, get behind that. That's good.
0: Okay. okay. I'll receive it.
1: Okay. Um, well, you know, we uh Amos's middle name is Rex and the reason for that is because it means king. Um and like I don't know, I w Brian and I both just wanted to speak over him that like he's an heir to the kingdom. Like so mm. I I when I say I can get behind that with you. Um anyway, so I feel like I Yeah, I did. I did believe and feel a call. I just wasn't quite sure how the puzzle pieces would fit together. Um, Therapy was something that I didn't really know much about, but um, in school and and finishing high school and going to college and trying to figure out like, how do I find that? Like how do I be who God has made me to be in the world and, you know, lead people to hope in life. Um, the therapy the therapy career became an option um and it did feel like a good comfort to me that I can um I am I remember going to some of my very early therapy sessions asking like praying like Lord like would you be in this with me would you be the thing that is speaking to people would you be the like the voice that is promoting change in their lives and like that is pastoral you know like it to sit in the depths of uh people struggle and walk with them through it. So um yeah, and then, you know, obviously the doors continue to unfold for Brian and I to um take him in a direction of um pastoring and then um, me as well and luckily I I get to um wear both of those hats nowadays in my life.
0: Which I think it feels like that's actually becoming more common, which I think is a net positive, yeah. you know, like yes. there's been such a rise in advocacy for therapy, I'd say over the past yeah. maybe 10, 15 years.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think especially within pastoral ministry, yeah, the necessity of having kind of a, a basic understanding of,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, you know, how the human brain works and how
1: mm-hmm. how
0: we're shaped. Um, yeah which 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 I think beautifully I'm I'm sure you have a lot of these revelations too where you're kind of like we're reading the scripture and we're seeing these little Mm
1: -hmm.
0: vignettes of this ancient wisdom that could be Mm -hmm. you know upwards of four or five thousand years old and it's things that like in the academy they're just really now kind of naming and you're like
1: yeah yeah like Mm -hmm. this
0: is it's 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 kind of always been there these aren't Mm -hmm. um they're not disparate concepts and I think I, I'm fortunate to not grow up with this. I don't know if you did, but like um there's there still can be sometimes that connotation. Like to to choose into therapy is to reject mm. oh yeah Jesus. Like you just need you know what I mean? Like you just need to like yeah just pray just pray about it. Just go to Jesus. Like if you if you yeah. go to therapy you're going to the systems of man.
1: Mhm, mhm. Oh yeah, that was my my first experience with um higher education. Um I went to a seminary for they had a Christian counseling program and it was very much like let's it it and and beautiful, but let's take it to scripture and um help people pray through their mental health concerns or their addiction and and I believe in that, Ryan. Also, sometimes we got to figure out what to do with our bodies, you know, like, um, how do we, what are some things that we can actually do to work through, um, the baggage that we're carrying around, you know? So I, and, and that's actually how we ended up in Nashville is I was going to that seminary was there for a year and just had a whole bunch of. I don't know. Unrest is maybe the best word for it. I just didn't feel like this isn't going to prepare me for what I think. And a a friend of ours um, of mine and Brian's told us about the counseling program at Trevecca here in Nashville. And it is, it's a, it's a, um, it's a Christian college, um, but they teach therapy, like the science of therapy. And so it it is, it struck a good balance. And Here we came for that, and um, the rest is history.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, um, you know, kind of honing in a little bit today, I want to talk about family of origin and family systems theory. Mm -hmm. Um, When did you first become aware of that in your education, and what did it do to you when you started to see some of that kind of Mm -hmm. uh, described or laid out in front of you?
1: yeah well, the family of origin stuff is at the get go when you're studying to be a clinician to be a therapist. It's a part of um it right away i mean right away in in my education. I think that is the case for most programs. you start looking at early childhood development and talking about attachment theories and stuff like that um and i I mean, I feel like it was a little bit freeing but also. Um, hard to look at, you know, and to see how Mm. I was affected by the places that I came from. And as I've continued to learn and develop as a person and as a therapist, and there's more research now, even about how our, like legitimately our DNA is impacted by things that, you know, previous generations have lived through and stuff like, it's just absolutely mind blowing, um, how, we are we we are the culmination of all of our experiences and then some of the experiences of people who've lived before us, you know um it's wild to think about yeah like absolutely it's, um, wild
0: it it and and I think especially when you enter into ministry or you enter into therapy, it's like it it it's striking how often the deepest struggles that we have or the deepest wounds we carry trace back to our family of origin. Like I remember when I was starting to work this out at the Anchor and and doing spiritual direction with people and we talk about what they're struggling and (laughs) you start with a question of like, tell me about your relationship with your mom. Tell me about your relationship Mm -hmm. with your dad. And that, it just so continually seemed to be Mm -hmm. the, the crux upon which like so many of our other yeah. Our wounds or our struggles are are built upon. And and conversely, yeah. to be fair, a lot of the most powerful and beautiful gifts that we have to offer the world are a result of our yeah. family of origin. Yeah. Um, yes. So can, you, can you give us like a brief rundown of like family systems theory? Because I think maybe people don't necessarily know what mm-hmm. that is. And I know there's a lot of different
1: mm-hmm.
0: approaches to it. But if just kind of like the 30,000 foot view.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, there's a lot, there's, there's two main uh, types of therapy that people are um, dealing with now, it's family systems, their uh, theory, and then internal IFS, internal family systems. And so with both of those, uh, if you go to a therapist, or if you pick up a self help book, and it talks about family systems work, it's basically going to be looking at how the people who were surrounding you during your upbringing impact who you are. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, it can, it can go like a little bit deeper into be, like I was saying earlier, we are the culmination of all of our experiences. And so we embody bits and pieces um, of those experiences. Sometimes in family work, we do um, inner child work, uh, which is Mm -hmm. like, that's a part of you that has lived through all of the things. And maybe that part of you was shut down or neglected or whatever. And so when we look at the family system, it's not just like, who were the people and what was that relationship like, but like, how are the parts of you impacted by that system as well? Um, And I think the important thing to acknowledge is that you know, sometimes it is biological family. And sometimes it is the people who are in your, uh, your sphere, your inner circle. um, Mm. uh, Because they can also be a part of the family that constructed you, you know, or the family that built you.
0: Yeah, and it, you you mentioned a, a, a moment ago, like the, this is a really new aspect to it, like epigenetics that Yes. Not only is it like the, the direct influence, like your parents, maybe your grandparents, aunts, uncles, whatever, siblings, that the way that they spoke to you or how they treated you, like really shaped mm-hmm. you. But um, this fascinating idea that um, even previous generations, their experiences yeah. now know, like biologically, they either expand or contract the information yeah. in your genetic material and shape the following generation. So the, the, the studies they've done, are, for example, with like, you know, r- remote communities, I think it was, in, is it in Sweden mm-hmm. was like the kind of main yeah, uh, yeah. research they did. Right. Uh, yeah. And it was like yeah. a, a generation had gone through profound famine. Um, So they, you know, quite literally tightened their belts and like, and made do with what they had. It was quite an austere way mm-hmm. to grow up. And they noticed the effect that it had up to three or four generations past in how it, literally shaped not just the physicality of the fourth generation mm-hmm. but their mentality um and and how they process the world um and you know i mentioned earlier pete scazzaro one of the things that he draws out of that those studies of epigenetics they've done a lot of research with rats too and seeing how it mm-hmm. like the nurturing of the first generation trains that first generation rat pup that when they become a mother they kind of pass mm-hmm. on some of those they imprint and mm-hmm. they're their capacity to receive affection or yes. their inability to like, you know, connect is yeah. a result of what happened several generations prior. And, and, and Pete points out that like in, in the commandment, honor your father and mother, um, you know, it kind of, it's, it's the one commandment that comes with this promise. And it talks about how um, like that lack of connection uh. Like the it's, it says something like, you know, um, the curse will play out to the third and fourth generation, but the word for curse just really more means it's not like God oh. is imposing this thing upon the following generations. It yeah. means like there's a tendency for repeated patterns, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. now we're seeing again in science, this ancient wisdom going, mm-hmm. yep, that's exactly what happens that even mm-hmm. yeah, your great grandparents and the way that they did it affects you today. Yeah. Uh, but that the blessing plays out to the thousandth generation. Yeah.
1: And I think that to yeah. me,
0: that's the real power of family of origin work is that we have an opportunity to lay claim to the patterns mm-hmm. that are in our family and to mm-hmm. bring them before Jesus and to say, mm-hmm. what, what do I bless and carry on yeah. with me? And what yeah. are the things that if I'm honest, I want, I want it to end with my line and do mm-hmm. the work now. To set up mm-hmm. future generations for greater health. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: See, I think Ryan, that's like that's one of the really beneficial things about living in community. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I love it when I, we were at a ball game the other day, and this person who's very much in my kid's life, he comes up to me and he's like, "Hey, I heard uh, Lucy." Somebody told me something about Lucy, so I just pulled her to the side and asked her about it. I wanted to let you know. I hope that was okay. And I'm like, please, like, I trust this person, <laughs> you know, um, and also like, that's a part of like, she gets to know that it's not just mom and dad who are looking out for her, but there's other people who are, um. Investing in her, who care about her, is solidifying a little bit of like purpose, identity, value, all of that, just from this like, you know, little exchange of like this thing happened. I wanted to clear it up, so I talked to her, and you know, there's something really beautiful about living in community with people. And I know that you know that it can get weird. You want to make sure you have good people in your community that are investing in in kids, but it is the the way that we are impacted by the relationships that we have. And so if someone takes a minute to love on and invest in my kid, the chances of that playing out in her kids and, you know, on and on and on and on, it's just, it's, it's there. Like we get to positively impact each other. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about faith community is when No matter where we come from, if we uh, choose to be a part of the family of God, we have the potential to be influential in other people's growth and development too, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. it's just like this whole ripple effect of how we're actually meant to be in community with other people, not just because it's comforting in the moment, but it helps us to like embody Christ for now and future generations to come.
0: Well, and it, and it seems like the antidote to a problem. I think that's, I wouldn't say particular to our culture, but I think it's one that we can speak out of because it's the one that we live in where it's just so hyper individualistic. And so Mm -hmm. what often happens is that we're we're told, like, you are a self-made man, you're a self-made woman, and you you have this thing called personal responsibility, and you have this thing Mm -hmm. called your will, and you've got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps at the end of the day. Like, you're responsible for doing this thing.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And when you recognize how shaped we are by... Our, our family of origin, by our culture of origin, um, stretching back for generations that we've carried some of these wounds and some of these gifts, mm-hmm. you recognize like, well, it's actually a little bit more complex than that.
1: Mm-hmm. Like,
0: I'm not, mm-hmm. I am a product of these things and it, I'm not, I don't, I don't live in a vacuum that I should just get it together and just make better mm-hmm. decisions. And that's, I think, where the power comes as we start to work through these things and go, man, what has influenced me without me even realizing it?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I saw a client this week um, for, is, is our second session. And she, her question was like, something must be wrong with me because I keep picking people, friends and partners who are all the same like they have the same Mm. issues it just keeps being the same messy story over and over again and the direction that we're going in therapy is like okay let's look at your family of origin there is something in her that is uh the the thoughts the beliefs the story she's telling herself is essentially laying out the same outcome every time. So we can roll right. it back right. to who are you and who do you think you are? Like what role do you play in relationships? That's where the change happens so that then she, or maybe she chooses better, but also she shows up differently to those relationships mm-hmm. once she can heal and resolve some of those, Um, early woundings that happened um, and even reshape the narrative that she's telling herself about herself in relationships, you know, but originally she's like, I'm broken. What's wrong with me? And it's like, no, you're not broken. You've been through some stuff that has really jacked with the way that you see yourself in the world.
0: Mm. Yeah. And it, and, and even when we get specific into those kinds of roles, like I, this is a big part of, of what I'll do and kind of like basic premarital, sessions with people is to confront them with the truth like left unattended you will fulfill this role in your life Mm -hmm. based upon what you imprinted on as a child whether you realize it or not and as an adult you might say you know oh I would never be you know a husband or a father Mm
1: -hmm. in the way that
0: I saw my dad do it Mm -hmm. Um, but you're you, you know you brought up like inner child work like you you subconsciously imprinted there. And so in a moment yeah. of crisis, when there's a relational crisis, so there's a lot of stress, you revert to those things. And I, you know, one of the things I often see it in is like if someone grew up with a parent who yelled a lot, raised mm-hmm. their voice or was more punitive, and they said, "Oh, I would never I would never do that." But then when you have a kid and it's Mm -hmm. a hyper stressful Mm -hmm. moment Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you find yourself yelling and you're like, where does that come from? And it's like, because you haven't, Mm -hmm. like, you know it, but you don't know it, know it. Like you haven't internalized that reality. Like as a little kid, you just imprinted went, that's what it looks like to be a daddy. That's what it looks like to be a Mm -hmm. Mm mom. That's what it looks like to be a husband or wife. Mm -hmm. And those things are still under the surface that it's not just enough to just name it and move on. You have to really do the work to, Mm -hmm. uh, to come to terms with that and to, to integrate that into your understanding of where you've come from yeah. so that you can actually begin the therapeutic process of healing. Um, yeah. so I like when it, whether it's like with, with clients of yours in, in the mm-hmm. kind of clinical setting or in pastoral work, what are some helpful practices that you found to really help people come to terms with their family of origin?
1: Yeah. Um, I I think some of it is slowing down enough to pay attention to yourself. We're we're busy. We're multitasking all the time. Um, Mm. I'm a big advocate for some quiet time every day, not necessarily like traditional old school church quiet time, um, but like, you know, some alone time to think and be, um, journal writing is good for this kind of thing as well. Um, but just to like slow down and be able to acknowledge where you experience discomfort in your life um, or where you're feeling a little bit, um, uh, I don't know, maybe harsh toward yourself. Uh, because those little rubs, those little irritants are often indicators that there's something going on beneath the surface. Uh, Typically, we see our unhelpful feelings and unhelpful actions before we are able to see the unhelpful thoughts going on beneath the surface. We're more keen to um, the external than we are the internal for most people. Um, So slowing down enough to acknowledge that. I do think therapy is a good idea, but also talking stuff out with people um, helps to uncover some of the hidden things as well. Um, Hmm. You mentioned Pete Scazzarzo, um, there's a, he's got a good activity in, um, the emotionally healthy spirituality where it's that, I think he calls it like going back to go forward or something where you like do a genogram mm-hmm. and look at some, um, family, uh, patterns and habits and uh, stuff like that. And that, so that's a good exercise. You don't have to be in therapy to draw out a, um, a genogram. It's like a family tree of sorts where you're looking at patterns. Um, so that can be helpful, um, a lot of times where family of origin issues arise is in relationship with other people or even with God, where um, there's a disconnect. You feel like you just can't, um, I can't get close to people or um, I can't trust people or I don't trust that God's going to meet my needs. Um, wow. I, it's a little bit of a blanket statement, but a lot of that uh, disrupted connect, connection feeling um, is rooted in family of origin um, Uh issues or hiccups, you know, like things along the way. Um, so if you, if, you know, if people notice, I like, I have no friends or I can't trust any of my people. Um, that's a good, a good place to spend a little bit of attention, um, paying attention to what's going on there. Also, it tends to show up if you're having some self-esteem issues, if you're feeling, um, worthless or not good enough for, um, things, there's likely some, not always, but likely some family of origin stuff there. Um, if you, wow. if you, um, you know, sometimes we have adult relationships that are even adolescent relationships that mess up the way that we see about ourselves. But typically when people are able to have resolve Um, at least do some healing for family of origin wounding, if it's about self-esteem, they're more resilient when those uh, adolescent or adult experiences happen. Does that make sense? So like if you have a wounding that says, I'm not important, and then you have a friend in college who treats you like you're not important, if the wound is still there, that college experience is going to be like, well, yeah, not important. But if that wounding from childhood is healed and resolved and you're like, no, I actually am valuable. I have a lot to offer. And friend treats you like you're not valuable. You're more resilient to like, they must be going through something because that I'm not going to attribute that to myself, you know?
0: Mm. Um, Do you mean that in, in the sense, do you mean that in the sense of like sometimes when we're dealing with relational issues that we have in this moment, the breakdown is really just a symptom of a far deeper thing. That until yeah. we kind of go backwards in our stories, go back as early as we yeah. can to some, some origin, uh, yeah. some of those like those lies or things that we yes. had, we're just keep hacking away at symptoms on the surface. Like I'm having a problem in this friendship and it's like, well, the symptom, that's a symptom of a far deeper wound that's been part of my story this whole time.
1: Yeah. 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 I do think I agree with that, Ryan. Uh, also though, you know, when you're in relationship with other people, you're also dealing with their stuff too. Um, yeah. so like the issue could be that you're coming up against an unhealed, um, core issue for them and it is affecting you. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So not every relational yeah, conflict absolutely. is like, Oh, I've got something going on. It could be that they've got something going on, you know, like sometimes Brian and I will get in a a situation I'm like I really I don't know what I could have done to do anything different or he may be saying I don't know what I could have done and it turns out that like I'm the one that needs to do some TLC you know but because yeah. we're in a relationship it's affecting him um
0: I yeah that makes it sense, can almost so. be overwhelming at times in relationships to recognize <laughs> yeah. any moment of conflict contains mm. like so oh, yes. much so many other people standing over that person's shoulder
1: yes in yes a way. yes you know
0: like when you when you're arguing with brian you're also arguing with brian's grandma in some way <laughs> you know yes that's, yes that's the complexity of who we are because we're one of the things that has been so transformative for me especially over the past year is recognizing like we're not logical creatures yeah you know what i mean like we don't have just good principles that we live by and here's my philosophical or theological structure for understanding myself and the world around Mm -hmm. me and God we're story-based creatures we live stories Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we tend to relive the stories that we don't name and so even that single moment of conflict contains within it ripples of unresolved stories that we've never really dealt with i I want to go i want to go back to something that you you briefly mentioned a, a moment ago which i i hadn't considered um and it's something that, uh, this is why I love doing this podcast, because we're fleshing out things that aren't in the book, mm-hmm. because I want it to be a compendium, but that are a lot of times our family of origin shapes the way that we see God, and mm-hmm. the expectations that we place upon God. I actually uh, had a session with someone this week, where we were specifically uncovering that and talking about um, their 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 relationship with their father, who... Mm-hmm. Wasn't particularly consistent, was a little bit chaotic, and was either over inserting himself or under asserting himself, and mm-hmm. so they felt on un- they felt like the kind of low level unsafe because they never really knew how dad was going to show up if dad was going to show up. Yeah, yeah. And we started. I started inviting some questions that said, "How much of that have you also aligned with God as father? Mm-hmm. Because father is a." Re- Father's a really lovely word for some of us that Mm -hmm. grew up with a strong sense of father. So we think God Mm -hmm. is father. It's like, wow, that's amazing. But for a lot of us, that's Mm -hmm. really scary to go. I don't know if I want God to be my father. So can you talk to me a little bit about this work? Not just in how it it addresses our relationships with other people, but how it might address our relationship with God.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you bring up... Uh, I, that, the, that thought of like, not everybody has that same connotation, uh, for uh, father doesn't mean the same thing for everyone. Um, I think that there's this saying in the therapy, like brain world that what fires together wires together in your brain. So like, if your dad is not great, but then you're calling God dad like there's it makes sense that there's going to be you're going to attribute the same qualities to this to the same name you know um i i I don't know what to. I don't know. I don't know how to process breaking that apart, other than um, just to acknowledge. Like when you're when you're sitting with someone, like you were this week, Ryan. Just to acknowledge that, like, yeah, that's a real thing. Just because you um, experience your dad this way doesn't mean that God is that way. However, it's happening for you, and like on, honor that for someone. Um, we we just learned so much about our early from our early childhood experiences, we learn so much about relationships. And so if like you're describing with the person you met with, and I see it all the time with people in my life, friendships, pastoral therapy, all of it. Um, if we learn early on that authority figures or parental figures are not reliable, then we have to do some active work to unattribute um, those things to God. You know, like if, um, if the the our early childhood experiences were unsafe or if there was trauma um that certainly does impact the way that we connect with god in all of all of the contexts as provider as father as um you know even a, a guide or a spirit uh, a, a, that spiritual livelihood for ourselves um i, I think there's a lot of Uh, family of origin work to be done in regards to spirituality, especially, and maybe this is too big of a can of worms to open, but especially um, with lots of like um, deconstructing happening all around us. Hmm. Um, It's beautiful. I love it. One of my favorite books of all time um, is the sacredness of questioning everything because like we're meant Mm -hmm. to understand, you know, like we can ask hard questions, Uh, but we, I think as people are breaking apart, uh, what they believe to be true, I I think we have to do a little bit of family of origin work connected to that to ever find any peace. Um, one of your, like the previous question about like, what can you do, you know, like how do we work through this stuff? Like looking at, uh, values and, um. Guiding principles as adult versions of ourselves is one of the best ways to do family of origin work. Just because okay. you have been told one thing doesn't mean that you're gonna go to your grave believing that. As an adult version of yourself, you get to say like, "What are my values? What is important to me?" Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that causes some um, separation or differentiation from family of origin, as it should. Um, But like that part is also important when it comes to connecting with God. Um, And, you know, as we, as we were even saying, starting off, like for me having to figure out, okay, like I know that people have said this scripture to me about women in ministry, but like as an adult version of myself, And with who I know God to be, like, what are my values and how do I, how do I experience the scripture, you know, as an example for what I'm talking about. Um, And so like, you can apply that to a spiritual context, but you can also apply that to, I mean, silly things like growing up in the South, you were meant to wear a dress to church on Sundays and, you know, stuff like that. Okay. That's not my value system. I don't, I don't want to do that every Sunday. So I get to ask myself those questions, you know, and like. Become my own person.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I like I like what you're bringing up there about like deconstruction or a crisis of faith because I think that kind of for me further solidifies that kind of work is almost never um, purely an intellectual exercise.
1: It's not. You know, you're like, right. Yes. Like
0: I just I just I just did did the work, I I read the books and I dissected these doctrines. Mm -hmm. I dissected these practices or this theology. And I just came to this conclusion. It's always, 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 always like, uh, I don't want to say tainted because that has a negative connotation, but it is so influenced by how these, these really big concepts were presented to you as a little person, you know, so kind of in this, in this portion on story in the book, we're talking about like your culture of origin, your family of origin, yeah. and your faith of origin. Um, and to to recognize like whatever I am questioning, or maybe perhaps even rebelling against, is a product of how, what I was taught to believe mm-hmm. and how I was taught to hold it. And until I mm-hmm. really get into the weeds in that thing, um, I think oftentimes we end up one of the things that we talk about quite frequently is like like fundamentalism becoming. Now I think it's more about how you hold your beliefs than what those beliefs Mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. So you might reject a set of beliefs about God and about how the world works and who you are. Yeah. And you take, take upon yourself new beliefs, whether or not God Mm -hmm. is part of that or how you see yourself, You see, but the way you hold those things has not changed. Mm
1: -hmm. And you could still Mm -hmm. be a
0: fundamentalist. You're just no mm-hmm. longer like an evangelical fundamentalist, you know yeah um, mm-hmm. because those those things have been imparted to you. you are not a self- made person you didn't just get to decide who you are you mm-hmm. were you were given these messages that you have to kind of suss through carefully to really mm-hmm. see what's what's influencing not only what I have believed or concurrently believe, but the way in which I've held those things yeah. Um, And that takes, because you just keep acting, you'll just keep acting it out. I think that's where a lot of people find frustrations. Maybe they, maybe they leave the church or they leave a denomination, but their problems just follow them
1: Mm -hmm. in the
0: same way. Mm -hmm. Like maybe you move cities to get away and start a new life. And then five months into that, all your problems show up again. Mm -hmm. Cause you didn't, Mm -hmm. that wasn't really the issue, you know? Mm
1: -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you know this about me, but one of the, one of the avenues where I do a lot of therapy work is in the uh, recovery community from uh, recovery mm-hmm. from drug and alcohol addiction. And I've been, I've been in the field now for uh, 17, 18 years. And at the beginning, when I first started doing the work, it was a lot about change your people, your places and your environments. So people who were in mm-hmm. active addiction, like change your people, change your places, change your environments. but. I, congruent with what you just said. What we know now is wherever you go, there you are. It's not rocket science, but if you change your people places in your environments and you still have addiction alive and well in you, you'll find those people, you'll find those places, you'll find those environments wherever you are. And so for people to be clean and sober for the long run, it's about scooping down in a little bit deeper and doing that internal work know, looking at shame and looking at, you know, healing up traumas and stuff like that, because we can't just change this external thing and expect the internal to miraculously be better. You know, I think that concept overlaps to so many things, you know, like if you, Mm -hmm. if we're showing up to friendships and relationships as an unhealed version of ourselves, we're going to see repeat of the issues happening again. If we show up to our connection with God and we're bringing the same unhealth every time we're going to see repeat stuff happen. Um, Which is why literally like in the counseling world, it's like we say someone may not come to therapy because of their family of origin, but you will eventually talk about their family of origin because it is where we come from. You know?
0: Yeah. 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 That's absolutely so so I'm gonna I know I can get a little charismatic on you and you won't be freaked (laughs) by this.
1: Bring it, Ryan.
0: Um so uh you've you've met my parents, you know they're amazing. Like they're great. I I I got out I got out relatively unscathed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um but I would you know, so I was I was the oldest, and that's again another part of little family systems Uh therapy. Uh Is like Birth order and how that, you know. So I was, you know, the avant garde. I was, you know, your older sister, she was the experiment. Like, how do we parent? Right. Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: And um, for me, going off to college and then moving out on my own, like early, there was a lot of conflict that came up in my relationship, especially with my mom, because we're trying to figure out this totally new territory of Mm -hmm. her having an adult son me trying to fight Mm. figure out some semblance of independence.
1: Like some autonomy. Um,
0: Yeah. And not necessarily having an older sibling that I can look to go, okay, well they did it Mm -hmm. this way. And I remember being uh, probably about 25 and I was, I was back home with them and we had some relatively minor conflict, but it it set me off and I, I felt like I reverted to my 12 year old Mm. self.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Like I felt like a bad boy you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting in my bed that night at, at my parents' house and I was praying and I was just like, what is this? Why do I, why do I react this way? What's, what does mm-hmm. the Lord show me? And I don't claim too many like vision, visions from the Lord, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but basically what I know now is like the spirit of God took me through a genogram mm-hmm. Basically, mm. and showed me my inheritance. And again, I, this was before I learned any of this. So when I learned it, I was like, "Yeah, that checks out. That's how kind mm-hmm, of God works." Mm-hmm. And showed me like, like each of my parents and their parents' relational dynamics and how they had come into things. Like, you know, my 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 dad's dad was an alcoholic when he was growing up, and he was he didn't know if he was going to be angry drunk dad or goofy drunk dad coming home, and my mm-hmm. dad kind of positioned himself as a protector of the younger two siblings. He was the middle child. Um, and my and my paternal grandmother, she was very passive and just kind of took it. And he he cleaned up his act by the time I came along. So I never knew him as that at
1: all. He was Got a it. lovely
0: old man. Um, And then on my mom's side, seeing her parents, who we had a closer relationship with in their dynamic, mm-hmm. and especially my maternal grandfather. And he was uh, the biggest personality in the room, like, he knew everybody. He knew the guy, you know. But then the the, the stranger thing was that the Lord showed me my paternal great-grandfather, or my maternal great-grandfather, my grandfather's mm. father, who I was gone long before I was born. Um, and in this vision, the Lord showed me he was a really hard man. He was a blacksmith. He had four mm. sons. They lived on a farm. Um, you know, this is kind of through, like, World War II and the austerity Era mm-hmm. that was a big part of of Irish and British life in the nineteen fifties, and how that shaped my grandfather and and the Lord spoke to me in that moment and said like when you have this little conflict with your mom, mm-hmm. what's happening is all those stories from three generations back are smashing into this moment mm-hmm. how you're relating to each other,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: you you're you're reverting in your own story to being twelve years old because that's what it made you feel like the, being on the verge of mm-hmm. being. An independent Mm -hmm. man, Mm -hmm. but you're still kind of tiptoeing into it. And the sweetest thing to come from all of it was I felt like God helped me to realize it is more true that my mother is my sister in Christ than it is that she is my biological mother. Mm. Like that's the truer thing. Mm
1: -hmm. And it
0: helped me to give her grace to Mm -hmm. realize she's working through this thing as well as I am. It gave yeah. me grace to enter into those moments of friction or trying to work out a relationship that I, I, I wasn't living and dying by whether mm. or not she approved or disapproved. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And it,
0: it really beautifully changed our relationship from that moment. Um, so I, I know I that's, that. that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't talk about that too much, but, um, that Thank is also you.
1: like a really beautifully freeing moment for you to yeah. like i mean if we want to talk about it like brother and sister in Christ like that's a freeing moment for you to be um like a co-laborer with your mom yeah. you know like it is there's an independence i think that comes from that vision of seeing yourself as i'm not less than like, yes, she is my mother. She brought me into this world, but like I am. And she poor... can take me
0: out of this world. <laughs> she <laughs> reminded me frequently.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, so for for you, what are the implications of like belonging to the new family of Jesus? Because mm-hmm. I think sometimes again in that hyper individualistic world where we believe yeah. like we're self-made. We come to know Jesus, but it's so much about our personal salvation and our personal mm-hmm. relationship with Jesus. We don't take seriously that we have been saved into a family. Yeah. Um. Like, what are the like, what are the connotations to that? And then maybe secondarily, it's obviously, it doesn't just change. It's just, it's not just like right. You were part of your family of origin. You know Jesus, and now you're just part this new family, and everything just gets fixed yeah no you know, I, wish, um, I wish but um no. so how do you how um, do you see that like the new family of jesus
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um i think it is um beautiful and takes work um a couple of things one as a therapist i use a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy and with okay. that i think that it's very congruent with scripture um, basically it talks about with that kind of therapy, if you can, um, make sure that your beliefs are rational and true about yourself, then the way that you see yourself, the way that you feel, the way that you behave will be changed and different. And so like through the lens of th- this question, uh, accepting ourselves as, family members in, in the family of God, as opposed to just a kid of our family of origin, I think it's about really, um, paying attention to our belief system and reminding ourselves, renewing our minds often and daily Mm -hmm. that like, I am, um, I am chosen. I am a part of this family. I am, I have an inheritance. I am a new creation, stuff like that, you know? Um, but it's, mm-hmm. I think, you know, you mentioned earlier that we're not, we're not all cognitive. We're not intellectual by nature. Um, but this part of it, I think we do have to use our brains for our benefit to really remind ourselves mm-hmm. of where we belong, you know? Um, because sometimes it is easy just to get like rote and, and believing old narratives Um, But uh, like doing the work and allowing ourselves to be functioning members of the family of God is about uh, reframing how we see ourselves so that we can accept the love that God has to give us, you know? Um, I mean, maybe that's a a conversation for another day. Um, But I, I think that the barriers we experience in our connection with God and Um, and the Holy spirit has a lot to do with the the narratives that we tell ourselves about who we are and the narratives we tell ourselves about what God is capable of doing in our lives. Um, so I, I guess the quick answer of it is like, it's really about redefining the narrative that we have about ourselves, um, so that we can participate in what God is doing, um, and, and be connecting. I think, you know, um, I would say on this note too, it's about slowing down enough to uh, listen to, and I, I say this a lot in therapy, we're too busy. We need to slow down so we can hear our thoughts and feel our emotions. The same is true in a spiritual context. Sometimes we need to just slow down and take some moments of rest and quiet so we can hear and feel what God is doing. Um, I think that's a part of trusting that we're a part of the family of God. Um, as well. Um, I could continue to list things. I think there's some, some things about forgiveness that sometimes we need to forgive the people who have done us wrong so that we're not carrying around Mm -hmm. that stuff to free us up, to be, um, you know, free, really free participants in the family of God. Um, sometimes that looks like, you know, learning how to stand up for ourselves and say that, that hurts my feelings when you talk to me that way. Um, to people from our family of origin um, I, I think that therapy plays a part in it for some people not everyone but um, putting you know putting ourselves just putting down what we've been through is easy to say it's not always easy to do um, so sometimes therapy is a part of that where you know we need to learn how to walk through hurt. And, you know, like I was saying earlier about therapy, I think that there is a place for prayer in scripture, and there's a a place for knowing physiologically, what do we do with the fact that we're having mental health symptoms, you know? Um, So sometimes people need therapy in order to even be able to see an improvement in their connection with God, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know if it's not like professional therapy just having genuinely good guidance that can help you absolutely name the yeah. name the particulars of your story because yeah one of the things I, I think it, like I think it's a net positive that therapy has been on the rise over the past 10 15 years but
1: mm-hmm. especially
0: within the Christian household that we're embracing the fact that yeah so yeah. much of this lines up with scripture it lines up with the work of salvation i like that idea that the yeah. greek word for salvation sozo it means rescue but it also means healing mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. part of the healing work that god does in us lines up with therapy yeah but i think one of the one of the things i'm concerned about is kind of the pop therapy movement where it's just these it, it might be like a um you know an account on instagram or these little yeah. screenshots that kept passed around that maybe contains some sort of a general truth or a guide, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but we can actually, uh, we can actually prevent the real healing that we need in our own stories. When we just superimpose these platitudes onto our, our actual stories.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um,
0: We can mislabel ourselves. I know, I know in the, especially in the Christian therapeutic community, there's a lot of concern right now with, how words and phrases are being co-opted, stuff like mm-hmm. you know, being triggered or talking about abuse mm-hmm. or trauma, and there's this desire again in in many of us to to belong mm-hmm. to a movement or something, and, and to hear yeah. somebody else's story and go, "Oh yeah, me too." That was my that's that happened, mm-hmm. and it's not without having good guides. We superimpose somebody else's story onto our own in a way that it doesn't do anybody yes. a favor. It doesn't do us a favor. Is, in working through our story,
1: no,
0: and it doesn't, and it actually devalues the stories of people who have genuinely experienced abuse who who are actually triggered by experience you know Mm -hmm. so I think like Mm -hmm. yeah having real guides good listeners who can name some of the things that we're experiencing and help Mm -hmm. us to work deeper Mm -hmm. into that is Mm
1: -hmm.
0: is incredibly important Mm -hmm.
1: I agree I and I think the one the one quality that would be essential for those guides is honesty. Um, Mm. you know, like if you're, if you're saying to someone like I, um, I'm feeling triggered, you need, you need someone on the other side to say, tell me how and why, like, what was that like for you? And are you sure that's the word that you want to use? Or, or if it Mm. is like, yeah, I found a part of my story for someone to say like in an honest way, like this is important. We need to, we need to value this. I want to hear about that, you know? I think Mm. part of the risk of uh, attributing other people's stories is, um, I don't know. There's just a lot of people saying yes to things that don't need a yes given to them. Um, Mm. if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. You know, like, Absolutely.
1: I I was talking to a colleague the other day about how the, the blessing and curse of the fact that diagnoses are more acceptable now than they've ever been, the blessing is people can know actually how to take care of themselves. You know, like if you know what the problem is, then you can address it. Um, the curse of it is we're never meant to stop with just the diagnosis. Like as people, we... We heal. We, we just do. Human beings are very resilient. We heal. And I think a lot of people are getting, they just are stopping at the like, yes, this is your diagnosis, but it, 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 that's not that's not the end of the journey. You know, um, people are, they're meant to get better.
0: And I think having a deep conviction that God is a God of hope and that God does not abandon us to diagnoses of our mental health conditions or the curses from our family of origin or whatever. Like he doesn't leave us yeah. there. Yeah. Um, that the, well, and the I, to name something is to shine light on it
1: mm-hmm. in a
0: way that now we go, okay, let's actually mm-hmm. do this healing work.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's, that's the part too that, you know, you were saying asking earlier um, what does it mean to be a part of the family of God as followers of Jesus, we get to know that, you know, like we get to have hope. And even as, you know, doing some of the family of origin work of restoring our lives, we get to implant and impart to other people, the legacy of truth that like God is reliable and God is good. And, um, we are loved and valued in the family of God, you know? Um,
0: Yeah. Well, let's um let's wrap up here because like I know this could be a really heavy conversation for people, and they might be going a little bit cross-eyed thinking about three, four generations back, and all these things. Um, what is? Can I say something like? Yes. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: So, like, just on that note of like, it can be heavy. The the a simple way of starting the work is family of origin work is about removing obstacles that prevent us from emotional health or Mm -hmm. removing obstacles that prevent us from intimacy and the, that removing obstacles is like, That's where we want as people, as helpers, as friends, as just in relationship with other people, if we can keep that in mind that like the work is removing those obstacles. So if someone is listening to this and and they're like, gosh, I've got a lot to work through. It doesn't have to be all at once. It's like right now, what's one obstacle that I can remove? And if the one Mm -hmm. obstacle to remove is today, I affirm myself that I'm valuable, then like the chalk that up as success, because that moves you in the right direction. If the one obstacle that can be removed today or this week is I'm going to call a friend and tell them how I'm really feeling like that's an intimate connection that is moving you in the right direction. Does that make sense? Like hmm. it's a huge, this is a, it's, it's a, a huge us, thing, yes. but if, if we can look at it, like, okay, what is one obstacle that might be blocking me from emotional connection? Um, let me, let me move that obstacle out of the way. And as pastors and as for myself, as a, as a therapist too, like I look at situations like that. and like, okay, I hear this person, they got 25 years worth of stuff that they're sorting through. What's one obstacle? Obstacle we can remove today, that's going to help them be healthier emotionally and help them uh, with their intimate connections. Does that make sense? Like, I don't want to oversimplify it. Absolutely.
0: But no, I think
1: one obstacle. Great.
0: I think that's so great, and it, you know, it, it makes me think about um, at the end of the book, I tell, uh, I share a conversation that I had with our spiritual father Dan Green, who mm. passed a couple of years ago. Yeah, you know, and and Dan had a profound story of brokenness and abuse mm-hmm. and neglect from his childhood, from his parents, from his siblings. And um, and this, and the Lord kind of meeting him in his very early twenties and beginning this process. And he said to me at one point, you know, Ryan, I, in a way I hope that I never stop healing mm. because that's the place where I found the greatest intimacy with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it was such a revelation to me to recognize when we begin the, the journey of healing, uh, we're we're scared because we don't necessarily mm-hmm. trust that God is truly good. Yeah, and we don't know what we don't know what's on the other side. We don't. Have yeah, a vision it's the for unknown. It. Yeah, but the more that we see that the healing hand of God at work in our stories, the more we begin to believe that He is truly good and has our best intentions in mind. Mm-hmm. And I think the more we lean into it and that process is converted from being something of fear to something of joy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that we look forward to saying oh my gosh my entire life is going to be full of healing and isn't that Mm. isn't that the good news you know yes Um, yes yeah oh i love that thank thank yeah yeah good old dan um Mm -hmm. thank you so much for sitting down with me april this has been like yeah, absolutely. This encourages people to like, look forward to some of this work and realize it's not mm-hmm. insurmountable. Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah. yeah, it's definitely not. And there is no matter what any of us have been through, there is hope. Um, it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be what it's been. Um, and I agree with what Dan said, we're always growing and changing and healing. Um, and God wants to be in that with us. He is in that with us. Um, So yeah, hope for sure. It doesn't have to be what it has been. Yeah, amen.
0: It can feel a daunting task to rummage through our families of origin to notice the core messages that shape how we relate to God and others today. But we must believe that even though it may take years, the journey is worth it because we are able to step into true freedom. This week, I want to invite you to meditate on the following questions. How would you describe your childhood experience with each of your parents or guardians? What were some of the key values instilled in you by your family of origin? What are some of the blind spots you now recognize, things you might feel were lacking or haven't served you well in adulthood? God as Father is meant to become our highest ideal for understanding our place in the new family of Jesus. What specific areas do you need to engage in order to redeem the image of Father or even of Mother in order to be more affirmed in your belovedness? Take heart, my friends. Although the journey is long, this work will not only become more and more the path to freedom, but it would also become the source of intimacy with God. Grace and peace.